the triumphal entry. One of the few times that we see in the life of Jesus him receiving uh, praise and adoration from multitudes and him accepting it. There was other times when he would receive praise in private little settings, but now he's about to enter Jerusalem and all of Jerusalem is excited about Jesus coming in. And so as Jesus moves towards his last week uh, before the cross, it's known as Passion Week. And it's amazing how much Scripture is devoted to this last week of Jesus' life. But we find Jesus, a little background, he's down in the Jericho area. He's making the ascent, the climb to Jerusalem for Passover, the high holiday in the Jewish world. The Jewish people, Passover was the holiday. And all of the Gospels record the triumphal entry. And uh, let me get you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we'll read about Jesus there at Jericho as he makes his ascent into Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 20, we'll look at verses 29 through 34. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. As Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem, these two blind men hear of the commotion, and they realize that Jesus is passing their way. And so they cry out with loud voices. They're actually shouting, trying to be heard above uh, the noise of the crowd. And they're shouting out, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And they're yelling so loud that the crowd is annoyed by them. And they're saying things like, shut up, you blind beggars, <laughs> because they're annoyed by them. And the only way you made a living in that society, if you were blind or handicapped to that point, was being a beggar. So they're probably receiving some insults. But this only causes the blind men to shout out louder. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And they have Jesus' attention. And Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, they could have been politically correct there. 
Lord, we're tired of begging. And that was without a doubt true. We want a higher quality of life, Jesus. It's rough being handicapped. It's tough being blind in our society. No, the blind men have one shot, one opportunity here to be healed of their blindness, and they cast aside all politeness. They're desperate. And they, they dare not be timid now, and they seize their one moment. Jerusalem is extremely busy during Passover. Jerusalem, a small village by today's standards, would swell to over 2 million people during Passover. Uh, and they got that count from uh, how many lambs were slaughtered. So it's a pretty accurate count of over 2 million people there at Jerusalem. It is the high holiday feast which all the Jewish people tried to observe. If you observe one holiday a year, it would be Passover. But these blind men, they have Jesus passing their way. And it's a rare opportunity for them. It's not a time to be timid or quiet. And to their great surprise, you might even say to their good fortune, Jesus had stopped and he asked, what do you want me to do for you? These blind men get straight to the point. Lord, that our eyes be opened. A straightforward, honest request from these blind men. There are times for us when it's a process to admit our biggest need before Jesus. Sometimes we have to peel off the layers of our symptoms like you would peel an onion or something. And we can become so focused on our symptoms that we never see our need. We can go through a process of a better job will make me happy. A better relationship with my husband or wife. A bigger house. A newer car. These things will make me happy. When perhaps we should get to the very point of our need, Lord, that you would open my eyes. Our Lord, Jesus had compassion on these blind men. He touches their eyes, and immediately their eyes are opened. They receive their sight, and they follow Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's a long, hard, uphill climb, and they follow him. Their need has been met. And now they will follow Jesus all the way into Jerusalem. Now let's read about the entry in Matthew 21, the next chapter, and we'll read the first 11 verses. 
Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, a colt with her, with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into the Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This entourage of Jesus, along with the multitude, they reach Bethage, which is uh, a village just across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. Jesus stops here at Bethage, tells two of his disciples, Hey, Go into the village opposite you and bring me the donkey and its colt and bring them to me. It's important for Jesus to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey colt. For this humble entry by Jesus, it's been prophesied of in our scripture reading of Zechariah 9.9. Jesus fulfilling prophecy. A donkey, a young colt, is the vehicle of humility. In that day and in times, in, uh, the method, the entry method of a dignitary was usually a stallion, usually a black stallion, a proud, impressive animal. What do you think the Roman soldiers thought about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey? They probably thought that was sort of funny. Probably uh, got a, a kick out of seeing this Jewish guy come into town on a donkey. But perhaps it's the king of the world entering Jerusalem on that donkey. In the book of Jude, in that one-chapter book, we get a glimpse of the future. In Jesus' second coming, not to rapture, but in his second coming, he will come on a white stallion, and he'll be followed by 10,000 of his saints, or an innumerable number of his saints. But in this moment, Jesus demonstrating who he is and his humility, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. 
Lori and I have been to Israel a couple times, and when you get out in the countryside, it's not unusual to see a person riding a donkey. And you thought, what is that big old person doing on that little bitty animal? It, it's almost amazing that a donkey can carry a full-grown human. And this is how Jesus chooses to enter Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the worship center of the world for a Jew. The temple is there, and they, there's massive crowds during this Passover time. And we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that donkey. There's a huge multitude. They're excited. They begin to lay out their clothes and their garments along the road in tree branches, not even wanting the donkey that Jesus is riding on to walk on pavement. They want that donkey to walk on prepared clothing. And we hear the multitude cry out. They're shouting out. Then they're shouting out the same proclamation that the two blind men from Jericho shouted out. Hosanna. Save now, son of David. Is it possible that these two blind men, or formerly blind men, are leading the cries of Hosanna? I think it is. I think it's a distinct possibility. For we read that they followed Jesus. And they weren't shy. They weren't timid about declaring who Jesus was. Have you been watching the victory speeches lately of the political leaders? Sometimes you can't help it. <laughs> it was very amusing to me to see how their people got so excited when their candidate won an election. And to the person, they declared how great they were going to be as president and how they were not only going to do that, they were going to make America great and they were going to continue these great things for all America. Can you say yippee? <laughs> it's amazing to me the claims that these candidates make. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, he's entering among joyous crowds, just like some of those crowds that we see on TV for their candidate. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, in the Gospel of Luke, they call out for Jesus to rebuke his disciples. The Jewish leaders don't accept Jesus. And they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be silent. Why did they do that? Well, the Pharisees realized that Jesus is a threat to their power. He's a threat to their system. And they also realized Jesus is fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. And also Psalm 118. 
And these religious leaders purposely choose, even with the knowledge they have of Scripture, to rejoice at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And Jesus has a word for these Pharisees. And he says, if I tell my disciples to be silent, the very stones would immediately cry out. This is the one occasion I agree with the Pharisees. Hush, people, because I want to see those stones cry out. (laughs) Wouldn't that have been something to see? But Jesus' triumphal entry It removes any of the hidden agendas. It removes any ignorance of who he is. Jesus is proclaiming to be Messiah. The religious leaders, they understand this. The Pharisees, they understand that Jesus not only is claiming to be Messiah, he is performing miracles that demonstrate that he is Messiah because he's opening blind eyes, proving who he is. The blind men have cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. That Son of David happens to be a messianic claim. Their claim, they see that... uh, Jesus is not rejecting this. He's accepting the cries of the people. The multitude have shouted out, you know, several times, Hosanna, Hosanna, or save now, save now. Now, just that Hosanna part. You don't cry out Hosanna to an average guy on the street. Hosanna is a cry that is reserved for Messiah, somebody that can do something about their situation. Jesus has declared to the Pharisees, these stones would immediately cry out if my disciples were to be silent. And if you've ever been to Israel, it is a stony place. (laughs) So I would have definitely like to have been there to hear this triumphal entry of Jesus, even by the people. But why? Why did these religious leaders reject Jesus? They know Scripture. Well, there's a passage that I'll read to you that will kind of explain this, and that's in John 12, verse 42 and 43. Give you a second. This is a good proof of who Jesus is and the rejection that comes his way. Verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of synagogue. And to be put out of synagogue you were relegated to a life that was outside of the business world. You got no favors. You got no uh, way to make your living because you're out of the Jewish loop. 
And then verse 43, for they, speaking of the Pharisees, love the praises of men more than the praise of God. What a sad commentary for the Pharisees. It is clear the Pharisees wanted the recognition and praise of the people, of the common men. And they wanted it over and above the praise of God. Can you say anything worse about a religious leader? What a lesson there is there for any of us who want to serve God with our life. The religious leaders, they're rejecting their Messiah because he did not come to them in the way they thought he should. Jesus was not the Roman conquering Messiah that they wanted. Jesus did not cast off the yoke of the Roman bondage upon the Jewish people. And that's what they wanted. But within one week, Passion Week, Jesus will break the bondage of sin over all of mankind. Within that week, Jesus will suffer the humility of the cross. He will bring the possibility of salvation to all of mankind. But that isn't what the Jewish leaders wanted. And next week, we'll talk about his resurrection. And it's such a beautiful time of the year we have right now. We call it spring break. For me, it's still Easter vacation. But anyway, the unbelieving Jewish leaders will crucify Jesus. And they don't realize that it was necessary for him to die on a cross during Passover. These same Jewish leaders will convince the people to cry out, not Hosanna, but crucify him. Within the same week, he enters, it's Hosanna. At the trial, it's crucify him. Peter puts this in perspective on the day of Pentecost, and Peter sets the record straight. In Acts 3, verses 13 through 15. We hear Peter in his sermon, and we, we hear Peter say, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you, speaking to the Jewish leaders, delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You men of Israel, you denied the Holy One, the only just person who ever lived. And you ask for a murderer. The men of Israel, the religious leaders, killed the prince of life. And then Peter said, but God raised him from the dead. So the singular greatest question 
of life for any human being is what do you and what do I, what do those around us, what do our families, our friends, our acquaintance, what do we here in the Bible Belt, you're in it, right here it is, we're the belt buckle, what do we here in the Bible Belt do with God's Son, Messiah? What do we do with him? I urge each and every one of us with everything in me, seek the praise of God over the praise of men by accepting God's Son. That brings God pleasure. And when we accept the Son, we enjoy the times of refreshing that only Jesus can bring. What a glorious time of the year we're entering into. So the triumphal entry. Let it bring joy to your heart. Our Lord rejoiced. He appreciated the praise of the people. He told the Jewish leaders, hey, if I tell my disciples to be silent, the very stones are going to cry out. I would have liked to have seen that. But we, his people, have the opportunity right here today to proclaim Jesus. Hosanna, save now the son of David, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for sending Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for being so obedient to the Father. You knew the praise of men when you entered Jerusalem would turn to crucify him. You knew that. Yet you still went to the cross. You still suffered for our salvation. You went through torture that was beyond words. You went through separation from your Father. You took on our sins to give us life. Thank you for that. May we always be grateful. May we always give you praise and glory for your great work on our behalf. So we thank you for coming lowly into Jerusalem, going to the cross. We thank you for rising again, overcoming death, overcoming sin, to give us life. So let us not be casual about what we believe. May we be quick to share with, with others the goodness of our Lord, the power of our Lord. Thank you, King Jesus, for ruling and reigning in the hearts and lives of your people. May we always be grateful for that. So, Lord, here we are at Easter 2016. We, your people, proclaiming your goodness. Help us to be bold in our witness, Lord. 
and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.